Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have old pal Michael Borky of Super Talk Mississippi on to originally plan to wrap up the college football season, talk some national title and big picture stuff, but then you had the old Miss Pete Golding stuff pop up yesterday. So we dove into that a little bit, talked a little bit of basketball and kind of bounced around to a lot of different topics. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox absolutely rolling in the money in college basketball so far this year. Just a couple of weeks ago, they went 40 and 19 in a four day stretch in college basketball. We had over the weekend a five day or five and oh day sweep in college hoops. They're crushing in college football and the NFL as well. They got the NFL playoffs coming up. You need to sign up right now. If you're wagering, you're tired of losing money. Just go online. Go to skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have any sort of picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for all sports. For a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever, you can do just a specific sport. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all-access pass. It's going to pay for itself. And then some. they'll send you an email with a nice color-coded spreadsheet of picks by units, confidence, and all of that. And boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were 15 minutes before signing up. It's the only way to profit in the long run. They make their clients money. All the uh, many podcast listeners, I should say, have had rave reviews about Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. When you buy a picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. It's absolutely a crown jewel of Oxford, the best butcher shop in the world. If you're Rippy Rights newsletter subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com, you get... Free newsletters for me and discounted meats. Right now, you get three lane train specials for 20 bucks. That's six, that's a six ounce bacon wrap filet, three of them for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 value that you're just getting for 20 bucks. That's one hell of a way to kickstart a grilling weekend. Go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up and then go find your own favorite. So many great, delicious sausages, fresh seafood. I like the tri tip, all kinds of great stuff, filet burgers. Everything in there is awesome. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Check him out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Michael Borky. All right, we now welcome on the most recurring guest of the pod we ever had. He's probably close to a retirement pension. Super talk, do it all. Yeah. Michael Borky. Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six uh, Monday through Friday. Be sure to check that out. Got Borky on the live stream on YouTube as well, which is always enjoyable content. Um, I plan to have you on just to put a bow on the college football season. You know, we usually check in with you beginning of the year, kind of halfway through, maybe right when it ends, and then kind of put a bow on the season. We do have some old Miss news to get to, I guess. That was not like why we, this is not an emergency pod of any sorts, but I guess we could hit that off the top. But uh, I guess first things first, how are we doing? Uh, college football is now um, gone behind us as we transition to next year. But this is the time of year, I imagine, where you guys, I know when I worked there in radio, we'd start to realize how fortunate we were that people in this state care about college baseball because with the basketball programs in Mississippi, the state, the state that they're kind of perennially and give or take a couple of years, 
Um, it can make for some long content days in other states, I'd say, whereas now you're just kind of ramping up to the second half of the sports calendar, really. Yeah, especially since we have no sp- uh, no pro sports teams here, too. Like, we often have people that, that do radio or like Ryan Brown, for example. They don't do radio anymore. It's just like this all-encompassing, on-demand, really well-done live show. Uh, but, like, we'll have him and Cole Kublik on quite a bit. And back in his radio days... I always wondered in that state for four hours in April, what the hell are you talking about? And it's just college football. It's find a way to talk about college football 365 days a year. I would lose my mind if that was something that I had to do every single day with, with really nothing else. I mean, they get off topic some and they'll do like, you know, music or movie stuff, just kind of OT conversations, I guess, but it's college football. I couldn't imagine trying to find original things to say about college football in, in April and May. But for us, it's it's completely different. I am so thankful for baseball during baseball season. People think I hate it. I don't hate it. I like it when it is baseball season because well, it's enjoyable for, for one. But we've got about 30 days to get through before it really becomes baseball season. State basketball is not a going to be a good bridge for us honestly like they were a fun story for a little bit that's not a tournament team old miss clearly not a tournament team we'll be doing you don't think co- so you don't think they have a run in them <laughs> no absolutely not they i mean it, not, they can't score when they are uh lined up at something called the free throw line where nobody can play defense you've got as long as you want to put a shot up and they still can't make the shot they lost, what was it, by eight last night to Georgia, Damn. which really was four because they, I think they turned the ball over or they missed a shot when they were down four with like 16 seconds to go. And then they, they kept fouling and, and Georgia made their free throws. Call it eight, call it four, whatever. They were seven of 22 from the free throw line. Seven of 22, and that's not abnormal for them. They're that bad always. But anyway, long story short, Football season's over. That sucks. Baseball coming up. That's awesome. Unfortunately, the basketball bridge is not going to be there until a possible uh, coaching search. So weird time of year, but content still abound. I find that's kind of interesting that we'll get to the golding stuff in a second, which I know is probably top of everyone's mind, but uh, the basketball stuff as it pertains to both Ole Miss and Mississippi state, I, I, uh, I'm of the belief that I think Chris Jans, once he gets players in there and gets a little bit established beyond this first year of getting his feet wet, we'll probably crush it at Mississippi state. If we're being perfectly honest, um, you know, people that know more than me, Bracken Ray, as soon as the hire was made was like, this is, this guy's going to crush it. I mean, if you look at it, the guy's won everywhere he's gone. He has some ridiculous mark about where he's won 27 or more games in X amount of seasons. He's been as a head coach. I've looked up before point is guy wins everywhere he goes. So give that a year or two. And I think state will start to return honestly to kind of Stansberry form in terms of being a relevant basketball program. Ole Miss, who knows what the hell is going to happen, but I don't really want to talk about that. Like the individual of the two, the concept of, the two schools in this state, and I guess particularly for the sake of this podcast, Ole Miss, being good in basketball or relevant in basketball is a fascinating one to me because I know from what I've seen on the message board and I've caught some of their podcasts in the last couple of weeks, Neil is all is, is kind of uh, loudly beating the drum of like they can't afford to punt on basketball. Like you, you can't just be a baseball school in terms of just national needle moving. That's not how it works. And I tend to I tend to agree with that to some degree, but like I, I just it seems like there's a missed opportunity there because look, is Ole Miss ever going to be a perennial NCAA tournament program? 
I don't think so, unless they strike gold with the right coach. But AK was relevant more years than he wasn't, particularly in January. Maybe late February is a different story or early March. Whatever, if you have your gripes about the guy, you know, I certainly had my own fair share despite enjoying covering him. But it just feels like there's a missed opportunity there. Like the first year I was at Super Talk, Ole Miss made the NCAA tournament. And that was a ton of fun covering those games and them being relevant in March. I mean, we went up to uh, a game in late February in Arkansas where Ole Miss kind of peed down their leg in the last couple of seconds where they could have submitted an NCAA tournament bid. I just like, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I tend to agree with the fact that like, I don't think they should just accept being baseball schools and whatnot. Because if you have a relevant college basketball program, and I know people don't necessarily put themselves in this frame of mind because it hasn't happened in a long time, it's a ton of fun to follow. It really is. Like they, the postseason's kind of dumb and, you know, similar to college baseball, anything can happen. But it's it's a lot of fun in that January and February range. And we've been devoid of that for quite a while. Yeah, far, far too long, unfortunately. And I've, I've said that on the show a good bit. People are probably sick of hearing me say it, but – we get from time to time the message of give all the NIL money for basketball to baseball and just do because nobody here cares and, and stuff like that. People say that often. And th this is a unique state where baseball matters. And maybe for the fan base at large, more Ole Miss fans and more Mississippi State fans pay attention to baseball than basketball. Maybe that's true. I, I, I wouldn't argue against you. But I've seen just okay Ole Miss teams fill up the arena and have engaging and energetic crowds. Like, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been to those games, uh, both in the Tadpad and the Pavilion, where, like, this Ole Miss team was not not good. They were they were fine. They were competitive. They, they had a fun player or two, and people showed up and went and cared and, and paid attention. And basketball, like you just said, and it bears repeating, I think people forget or have forgotten since it hasn't been a thing for four years now at Old Miss, a basketball run is as fun as a, of a thing as you can have as a sports fan. Because they play multiple times a week, meaningful basketball is so much fun, and that can happen at Old Miss. And because, again, like I, I've tweeted about it, I posted a video the other day of me basically saying the people don't care narrative is false. Do they care like Kentucky or, or Arkansas? No, but Ole Miss fans do care about basketball. It's just what do they want? What are they looking for? What can actually happen at Ole Miss, right? Can you be Kentucky? No. Can you be Ar Arkansas? No. Do you have issues with the program in terms of ceiling? Yes, you have one NBA player, and most sports fans don't know who Terrence Davis is anyway. So your one NBA player is a role guy. You know, it's not like he's some, he's not like Steph Curry to Davidson. Everybody knows Steph Curry. And if you know anything about Steph Curry, you know he went to Davidson. You know C.J. McCollum went to Lehigh, in part because they played really well in the NCAA tournament. You don't know who Terrence Davis is. And if you do, you don't know he went to Ole Miss. So there's that ceiling there. There's the financial ceiling no history of success, uh, all that combined. But you can be competitive and fun at Ole Miss. We've seen it before. I'm not going to be one of those people that says they made a mistake letting Andy Kennedy go. They didn't make a mistake letting him go. It was absolutely time. And, and they can even do better than him. But one thing Andy Kennedy did really well at Ole Miss was always have a player that you wanted, that you needed to go see. 
He was worth the price of admission, and he had freedom to just go play. Sometimes it was to the detriment of the team. But Marshall Henderson had a perpetual green light. Those teams, you made the term, okay, I was about to say those teams weren't good. One won the SEC championship. But those teams weren't great, but they were fun. And they had this super compelling, interesting player on it in Marshall Henderson. Steph Moody was one of those guys. He was a player that could keep you in basically every game if he was on, because basketball kind of works that way. But he had a green light. He could just go be him. And he was this five-foot-nothing guy that could jump through the ceiling, was just this super compelling and entertaining player with no NBA chance, no pedigree, got him from some JUCO in Florida, and people came out and watched. I have I went to Ole Miss games with Steph Moody on the floor where the arena was packed and full and the team wasn't particularly good or great. But by God, you had to go see Steph Moody play. That can happen at Ole Miss. And so when people say things like, I, I'm being long-winded, I'm sorry, it's it's my nature, but when people say things like, unless NIL changes, none of this matters because nothing's going to change on the floor. Partially true, because you're not going to be really competitive unless that improves. But also, when you say that, you're saying that currently the program is being maximized. That they're evaluating as good as they can. They're recruiting as good as they can. They're being coached and developed as good as they possibly can. And the only thing holding them back is the talent on the roster and nothing else. And I don't buy that. So tournament basketball is fun. You can have fun, compelling, interesting teams at Ole Miss without being unrealistic about your expectations. Fans will support entertaining. It doesn't have to be great. just has to be fun. We've seen it. And it can be done at Ole Miss as it currently sits. And with a little bit more commitment, it can be done more consistently as well. Well, to add on to your point, that 2020 year, the 2019-20 year where the, I guess that season ended up getting washed toward the end because of COVID, but Ole Miss was actually one of the few programs who um, finished their season because they lost to Georgia on that Thursday night in the, NCAA, in the SEC tournament. Um, that team with just Brian, the year after the NCAA tournament, they had a couple good environments for that. I distinctly remember covering a game against Tennessee and covering a game against Auburn where the team wasn't very good. They got off to a pretty rough start in SEC play. They had a little bit of a run in early February, late January, and they were kind of trying. Like, they were never really – remember they had that game at Kentucky where they were up most of the game, and it was like, hey, if they win this, there might actually be a late-season NCAA tournament conversation. It ended up going their way. But my yeah. point being is there were good environments those nights because Brian could fill it up. And while that team wasn't performing very well, people still came and the pavilion's a very enjoyable place to watch a basketball game. And they had good environments there. So like to kind of underscore your point is like, they weren't good that year, but they were kind of halfway relevant. They had a player that was really fun and they could compete with anyone on any given night where this team doesn't feel like that at all. I mean, look, we could do the basketball deep dive, but like they, they do stuff on offensive possessions that I've not, I haven't seen major college teams do in a long time. I mean, you watch that game on Saturday, Ole Miss and state, you've got Jay Wright and the ever young Bill Raftery, who's still calling games at 90 something years old, basically the last seven minutes of that game being like, Hey, what are they doing? Like they're, they're, they have nine minutes, you know, uh, nine minutes, 29 seconds of 
aimless passing 28 feet from the basket on the perimeter that's not accomplishing anything and you get five seconds left in the shot clock and then you got to force up a bad one and when they shoot perimeter jump shots they miss them in ways that i'm not sure myself at jackson academy missed them on consistent basis you're talking about bounces off the side of the rim that defy gravity and so i do think it's all about being relevant it's not necessarily being good it's about having you know in a place where you're devoid of some resources at least make your brand exciting and i think ak was always very good at that. So I completely agree. You don't have to be the perennial NCAA tournament contender. You just need to be relevant of some sorts. And they haven't had that in a couple of years. I mean, I use the COVID year as an example, that 2021 season when you're coming out of the year of COVID, fans couldn't go to most of the games, so the atmosphere thing doesn't apply. But they were one win away from probably making another NCAA tournament would drastically change as Kermit's legacy. If they'd beaten LSU in the SEC tournament on that Friday night, they might have gotten in. And that would drastically change things. But was that a ton of fun to watch? Did anybody have a great time with that? They finally figured out with like six weeks left in the season, like, all right, Chewer can't fill it up. Let's play through Romello White. That wasn't fun. And so even when it's like halfway successful, if you're not fun and not a good brand to watch, people are going to tune out in a place where you have kind of flippant basketball fans. And that's not really a shot at the fans. It's more of la- it's it's due to the history and all the things we covered. You got to yeah. be entertaining and they, they haven't been that. And look, I, I think we all know where this is going. I think it's over. I think they'll make a change and who they hire will be very fascinating. But I just, I, I kind of agree with the school of thought of like, you can't punt on basketball. You need to try. And look, the SEC is a bear right now. I don't think it's always going to be the bear that it is. Although it seems like I say that like year after year, and then they keep adding ridiculously good coaches to the league. So maybe they just become awesome for another 15 year stretch, but it's all cyclical, right? Look at the ACC now compared to 20 years ago. Right. Right. So like you have to try and they have to do something different because this is an unwatchable product. And even when they're competitive, it's unwatchable. And I think that's maybe been the biggest surprise to me um, is that Kermit Davis, you saw when he came in with an NBA player and a borderline NBA player in Brian, who's still with the Raptors 905 G league team, they were okay, but ever since then, don't get me wrong, they guard their asses off. But does anyone is anyone tuning in to watch that? Is anyone tuning in to be like, hey, if we get 55, we can win tonight? Like it's about how it looks at a place like right. Ole Miss, and that's sorely being missed because I don't envy anyone for not watching this shit, to be honest. Uh, no, I I don't either. I blame and, anyone, and I, I should say. I, I don't blame them at all. And um I've I found, or at least I think Ole Miss fans generally, I mean, maybe I don't have the best pulse on the fan base, but it feels like the expectations for the basketball program are completely rational. That That's that's the thing here. It's I, I have found Ole Miss fans, in terms of what they expect out of basketball, to be completely and totally reasonable. And most fan bases, when it comes to any sport, have totally unrealistic expectations on an annual basis. I mean, we'll talk about Pete Golding soon, I'm sure. Alabama fans hate that guy he's had top 10 defenses every year he's been a coach there and they hate that guy it is unrealistic and ridiculous and that is the case most places but every Ole Miss basketball fan that I talk to has the sentiment that we just went through just be fun just be fun give me something that's fun I'll go to games I'll yell and cheer just be competitive and fun. And because the SEC's gotten much better, the only thing you have to do to keep your job and be very popular as a coach is finish in the top half of the league once every three years. Make the tournament the two times in six years. Most of those years. Be in the mix. Be in the, the mix and make the tournament 
33% of the time, the other two years you're competitive and at least involved. And fans are good. They're good. If you shake hands and, and do the community stuff as well, they'll, they'll be even more lenient with you. That's all that most Ole Miss fans I interact with are asking for. Be fun, make the tournament often enough. That's it. And that's not unrealistic. I had a guy on Twitter tell me that Ole Miss is a bottom five, power five basketball job. And I thought, show your work. Because if you're telling me that there is only four jobs that is quote-unquote worse than that one, then I think you're wrong. Now, they are on a, on a low tier for sure, but you've got a nice facility. You've got an organized NIL group that needs to be funded more. Don't get me wrong. You, the, the bones are there to be better than what they have been. just takes the right person. you got to thread a needle, but I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that dire. When you say it's the worst job in the SEC, is it really worse than Georgia? Like demonstratively worse than Georgia? Or demonstratively worse than Vanderbilt? If so, how? In what way is it so much worse than those places? not i mean it's 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 splitting hairs but i know south carolina went to a final four but nobody there gives a damn they don't care and other than that final four frank martin who everybody loves didn't make the tournament once and now you can't take the final four away from him but his teams were not good otherwise that that's not some better job than Ole miss facilities are basically equal in-state talent gets poached by the better programs uh in the state just north of them they don't really invest heavily in NIL. They care about baseball more, or it's probably a stretch, but they care actually care about baseball, and that's important to them. I think they do care about baseball more. I don't think that's a stretch. I was talking to a buddy of mine who covers Kentucky, or used to. I think he got out of the industry full time, and he's like, I don't want to be ignorant. Do Ole Miss fans care more about basketball or baseball? I said baseball overwhelmingly. You think that's a, more even than it, it seems? I know it's easy to say that right now, but like, it's easy to say that now, but yes, the answer is, is they care more about baseball, but I don't know if they're mutually exclusive. Can't you care about both? Can, yeah, you can. can. I mean, so when somebody's like, Ole Miss fans care more about baseball, there are some Ole Miss baseball fans that don't care about basketball, but there's also the flip, and, and most people I know care about all three and want to win in all three. And the last question, and we don't have to spend time on this forever, but when people say every – and it's a very small percentage, at least. But, like, we got a text into the show today that was like, every dollar spent on basketball and not baseball is a waste at Ole Miss or something like that. And I thought, what is basketball getting? Or let me rephrase that. What does Ole Miss baseball not have because of basketball? Nothing. I mean, they're kind of exclusive in that sense. I mean, look, maybe Mike doesn't make what he makes if they're completely relevant in basketball all of those years, but largely nothing, in my opinion. I mean, you've got a coach with the highest salary in the country now, right? He's the highest paid head coach in college baseball. I don't know what that cat at LSU makes, but it's up there. He's top four. Top four salary in college baseball. You've got a stunning venue that's in line to get a pretty dramatic upgrade. You just built a really nice facility. Everything that you've got is among the tops in all of college baseball, and you're one of the very, very few programs that actually has players that make some NIL money. Like, what what does basketball have 
or what does baseball not have that basketball is taking from them? I think my answer would be nothing. And so uh, th that's the kind of, of stuff that I hear that when I when you think about it, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Ole Miss baseball is as funded as you could possibly be compared to everybody else in college baseball. Maybe LSU's got more NIL money now because they're trying to be the Yankees and buy a title. But Ole Miss baseball gives more or has more in NIL money for their players than 99% of college baseball. Like Everything's good there. You're well-funded and taken care of in baseball. Basketball's not taken away from that. I don't understand that argument. I'm with you there, and it's going to be fascinating to see who they hire because that's going to largely determine how all of this works, whether it's irrelevant or moot or not. you got a damaged goods out that guy, out, guy out there and Chris Beard. Just floating that out there. Will Wade. I've got to delete a lot oh, of Oh, that wires. would be amazing. Willie Wiretap. We could make shirts. So you don't have to delete it. Just lean into it. Be like, yeah. I mean, look, he took a photo with those kids at Kentucky who wore the FBI jackets to the game. Like, he he would lean into it. For all that guy's flaws, he was like, yeah, this is who I am. Hey, and What's here's up? the thing. So, I, like, when I first thought about that, I was joking. But the more I think about it, do you know how funny that would be? How, how hilarious that would be if Ole Miss basketball hired Will Wade. Now, you got to be able to clear him from NCAA stuff, of course. But what was his crime? When people are like, no, you can't hire a guy like Will Wade. He could get he get us in trouble again. For what? His crime was blatantly cheating in a sport that already cheats. But, like, there's cheating. It, he'd be like John Gotti on steroids. Yeah. John Gotti screwed up the mafia I mean, because it was all this La Casa Nostra operating silence. And John Gotti was like, Forbes? You know, People Magazine? Oh, uh, hell yeah, sign me up. And that's what got him got. And I think that's what got Will Wade got because he was just kind of like strong-ass offer. Like, yeah, yeah. we kids. Like, I mean, that guy to the end was just like, didn't do anything. What's up? Come at me. And then, unfortunately, he got got. Yeah. But it was admirable effort by Will Wade. He, he pulled up to the uh, the roadblock and offered a police officer a drink. I mean, that's how blatant it was, but it's legal now. You you can pay players now. It, it, it There's everything he did very stupidly, I know, very arrogantly and stupid. I've talked myself into this. I really have. I, at first, I thought it was a joke, but the more I think about it, what did he do wrong? He was very stupid in the way he paid players. Now you've got a former Under Armour executive leading the group that pays players, and it is all legal. You don't have to arrange a sketchy phone call. You just sit down with Walker Jones and say, hey, I need to go get a point guard. Send money that way, and it's all above board. And when you look at it, yeah, he's, he's an asshole. But he can coach basketball. He, he can. And he would he would get players, and he would be interesting. And Ole Miss basketball is not interesting. Get a guy like that, and you've got people that are buying. I, some people won't. I'm sure there's somebody listening that thinks the idea of hiring somebody that got in NCAA trouble is a horrible idea, and Ole Miss should hold itself to a higher standard. And my counter would be, it's basketball. It's basketball. Do you want to win? Hire somebody that will win. I, I would steer clear of Chris Beard personally because I think that's different than paying players. It's something else. But Okay, so on, on that note, uh, so to clean this up, by the way, we're somewhat tongue-in-cheek because the reason they can't and we're not actually advocating 
advocating for like specifically Will Wade instead of a Will Wade type. The guy's getting a bazillion year show cause. Like, you know, yeah. what I, mean? like, I, I mean, don't think it's been announced can, yet, but like, if you it's not clear, feasible, though. but it's more of the idea. Hey, of Sean like, Miller's coaching, though. Uh, yes, he is. Sean Miller's thing. He wasn't caught on a wiretap, at least I don't think, was he? No, so his assistant, <laughs> I can't remember if he's specifically on there, but he was not, I can't remember the exact details, which credit to that guy, Xavier is one of the best basketball teams in the country. They're probably a Final Four team. Guys turn around in 12 months. But he wasn't a strong-ass offer on a wiretap and then was basically just like, <laughs> nope, don't know what you're talking about type of thing. So Man. honestly, the media attention died off. I don't know if that affected his penalties, but it wasn't as bad. But it's the idea no. of it. On the Chris Beard note, I'm curious because this is a very touchy subject. And I've talked about this with Bracken a decent bit just through text. I'm not advocating for it. This is not a moral argument. This is not a I'm cool with him slapping or hitting his wife or whatever. The weird thing I found about the the Chris Beard thing is, is when they fired him, that came out about five, six days after the wife, not wife, it's his girlfriend, was like, I think he was acting in self-defense and trying to recant the whole thing. Now, in reality, was that chick realizing that maybe her gravy train had just been disrupted by her own doing of calling the cops? Yeah, probably. I don't know if you read the police report. The whole thing's bizarre. The guy's in another room. Like, they're clearly fighting and they're not speaking. She comes in and says something, breaks his glasses. He gives it, like, five minutes, comes back in and, like, confronts her about getting him a new pair of glasses and just apparently loses his shit. I don't know. I'm not trying to get in other people's lives. But I guess my point being is it does sound like he will be, like, the charges will not stick and he will be cleared of all charges. So, like, would you or would you be hesitant to go there if that's the case? Again, it's not a moral yeah. thing. I'm not saying like it's a or you're for or against the whole domestic violence thing. I, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to wade into those waters. But I found that the timing of the firing weird, given the events that it transpired in the days leading up to it. But if he if it happens that all charges are dropped, they had a bad night, they made amends. Like, would would you still hesitate if it was that? I would still hesitate. I, I would. I mean, it, it's. It's more so he's not a, he's not who they crack him up to be is kind of what maybe. Well, and, and I mean, could you imagine how easy it would be to recruit against him as well? I mean, you've got a player, let's pretend, is really close to his mom. And he's down to Ole Miss and Auburn. Well, Bruce Pearl, make your jokes about his past, but it's not like this, can sit down and say, you know, um. I would worry about about your son at, at Ole Miss because, you know, she dropped the charges, but here, did you see the police report? Ole Miss's coach laid his hands on his girlfriend. He he hit her. And and do you really want your son to go play for that guy? I, I mean, that that's going to be something that is said by everybody. Whether or not it's true, that's it's just going to happen. And you already have a hard enough time recruiting players anyway. I don't know. I mean, maybe that doesn't make any sense at all. I just, if if they can, uh, let's pretend that Keith Carter would want to go down that road and you, you do your due diligence and it comes back that he did physically harm her. That, that's, that's the disqualifier for me. Even if she agreed that it was a, they were in an argument and, and pulled the charges and all that. But if, if he did hit her for I don't know. I wouldn't if I were Keith. I un- I'm not going to tell you that you're you're crazy or or immoral for disagreeing with me, but I, I would not go down that road. 
I don't even disagree. I just don't have an opinion on the matter. It's just like an interesting thought. I think they're more fishing in the kind of Steve Forbes, Dusty May. Um, I think they should get Travis Ford at saying, Oh, no, you get you get Will Wade cleared. Yeah. Which is, which seems impossible. But <laughs> but if if that does happen, which it's not gonna happen before you're gonna have to to do something like this anyway. But the idea, I mean, I would just the middle fingers that that would hold up to the rest of college basketball would be just hilarious to me. I would hope he'd stay in character. I know they're all going with the polos these days. I hope he would still wear black pinstripe suits with like a bright ass gold tie and like a blue shirt and just, you know, walk, yeah. just lean into the American gangster. That'd be a ton of fun, but uh, I don't know. We'll see that. Uh, that conversation will certainly ramp up in the coming weeks as Ole Miss continues to fade into irrelevancy. Let's get to the uh, Pete Golding and Ole Miss aspect of this. This was not something we had planned when we talked about doing this podcast, but as we record this on a Thursday evening, um, there's been so it's been an interesting day on the Ole Miss front. There's been some, I would say, traction um, regarding Pete Golding's candidacy as being a potential defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. And the reason I kind of stumble over my words there a little bit is this is almost like the prototypical Lane Kiffin situation, because why on paper, Ole Miss is not looking for a defensive coordinator. They have one under the contract. His name is Chris Partridge. He has not been fired. He has not been reassigned. He's not been anything, but in this kind of weird world in college football, where everything's fluid, I think fluid is the buzzword of this generation of college football is that, you know, he kind of heard the rumblings toward the end of the year that Alabama kind of wanted to reset with their coordinators you know, maybe hoping Bill O'Brien would go back to the NFL with the Patriots and then looking at the Pete Golding side, it seems like they've wanted him gone from like, what, 2019, 2020 on. And that has really picked up to the point. I'll stick with the site that I work for, Neil McCready, McCready, excuse me, reported that, you know, there's some traction there. There's certainly interest and in that he has heard that. Uh, I won't go too far into it because you need to sign up for rebelgrove.com to read it. But there's definitely this is a possibility and it is trending toward Ole Miss potentially hiring Pete Golding as their defensive coordinator. And this is an interesting story on a number of different fronts because I guess I'll start here. This is kind of the most Lane Kiffin operation of all time, right? They didn't fire a defensive coordinator. This is not a coaching search per se. They have a defensive coordinator um, on staff, and now everything's just kind of hanging out in limbo. And look, I'm not I'm halfway joking because I'm being unfair to Lane because they haven't had like media opportunities or a chance for him to address it. Not that he would anyway, but it is just kind of funny that like this has all happened and it seems like it's a really, really firm possibility trending towards a probability, despite the fact that they have a defensive coordinator. Like, what do you make of this situation? Like, it, it's a fascinating one to me. It's hard to wrap my mind around why it's going down this way uh, without having inside knowledge on this particular thing. I, I wonder if Jim Leonard is kind of the holdup that, you know, if, if he, for whatever reason, wouldn't want to come to Alabama, then Nick would try to fight to keep Pete there. And so that's why this, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why it's going down this way, but I do know that they needed to make changes defensively, whether it was schematic or coaching, or personnel, or all of the above, which is probably the correct answer. The way they looked at many different spots this season defensively is simply unacceptable for a team that is investing into the program what Ole Miss is investing now. It, you, you cannot just simply run this back the, the way it went. I, I keep pointing this out on the show. Go back and watch the Arkansas game if you can stomach it. Not that they got ran all over, but what Sam Pittman said, 
But but what specifically what Sam Pittman said. Th- they knew what Ole Miss was going to run defensively. And at halftime, Sam Pittman was basically taunting Ole Miss. And at the end of the game, he did the same thing. Talked about they didn't adjust. There was a math equation. And we had more numbers than they did. And so, therefore, when they didn't adjust, we just kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. L- listen to his halftime and postgame interview. It's, it's very revelatory uh, on the Ole Miss defensive coaching staff. And honestly, on Lane Kiffin as well, because if he is the head coach after all. But, yeah, this is his show. But but li- listen to Sam Pittman talk about what his team saw from Ole Miss defensively that night. He is basically taunting the Ole Miss defensive staff that you guys didn't change anything, and we just lined up and kicked your ass because you let us and didn't do anything about it. It was the the Tulsa game, the Auburn game. Time and time again, Ole Miss de- – even in the, the Egg Bowl, where defensively they played pretty well, but third and longs, time and time again – Ole Miss allowed first downs on those long touchdown drives that ended up kind of being the difference in the game. It was the LSU game where time and time again, Jaden Daniels, who's not the best passer of the football, on third and medium, Ole Miss would give him a 12-yard cushion and just let him just throw a little underneath routes and get first downs, and then boom, the game explodes out of control. They had to make changes defensively, whether – I think it's, again, all of the above before. But something had to be done and has to be done defensively because the way they've looked is simply, completely, and totally unacceptable, and you can't just run it back this way. For all the talk about the offense, it's really only red zone offense that they struggled with. They moved the football well otherwise. We're top five in the SEC in scoring. What, it's top a half of the league in issue, passing? But largely, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Led the league in rushing, bringing in uh, essentially a freshman quarterback in a new system. Your tight end room gets completely hurt. The issues for Ole Miss on defense need to be addressed immediately. And so however it gets done, whether it's Pete Golding or not, something's got to give. So allow me to play devil's advocate for a minute. And please, for those out there listening, do not mistake this for a Chris Partridge stump. I don't know Chris Partridge from the next guy down the street. I've talked to him a couple of times. Seems like a perfectly nice guy. But one of the things I find fascinating about this, and look, I fully, if Ole Miss has the opportunity, if you're just looking at it in a vacuum and you choose Pete Golding or Chris Partridge, the answer is Pete Golding eight days out of seven in the week. Just let me get this out of the way um, up top. But in terms of like playing devil's advocate to a degree that because the Pete Golding thing is not a certainty. It doesn't seem like it's a quote done deal just yet, at least not from what I've heard, although it seems like there's been significant buzz and traction. Um, I would say particularly in agent circles um, about how this might go down in the next couple of weeks. Read into that what you wish. Um, the Chris Partridge aspect of it, you talk about how it was unacceptable and that they can't run it back and that they were bad. And all of those things are true. To a degree, but one of the things I find fascinating about this, and this is partially just probably the nature of college football, is the lack of leash or hand that Chris Partridge was dealt. And I guess what I mean by that is, and we'll get into the recruiting aspect of it in a second, is guess who was awful his first year? And maybe it was strictly a talent thing. And, you know, it was Lane Kiffin's first year and it was the weird COVID year, and it was conference only, and maybe all those combinations of the factor factored into a little bit more of a grace period. 
But DJ Durkin kind of sucked his first year. Maybe they were just implementing his system and they were just going to do it the way they were going to do it until they got better players in. And then when they got better players in in 2021, granted, it didn't look very good the first four or five games from that post-Arkansas game on when they got Jake Springer back and they went to Tennessee and the defense carried them to that win and carried them really through the second part of the season. Point being, before that, it wasn't great. And so... You had that weird period after the Arkansas game where some idiot on the internet posted that Chris Partridge's nameplate was not on his office anymore, so therefore he was probably fired as if that's how that works in this industry. But outside of that, or excuse me, uh, DJ Durkin, I think I said Partridge. Outside of that, there was no really like callings for Durkin to be canned. And I just think about it from the perspective of Partridge is a good recruiter and he had a bad first year largely. Now, they weren't awful in every single game. I thought they played no. particularly well in the Egg Bowl. I thought they were pretty good in most parts of that Texas A&M game. Um, I didn't think they were very good in the LSU game. Um, I thought they were pretty good in the Alabama game. It was a mix. Played bad. well enough against Alabama. The problem is, is the year finished bad and the last, like, the defense wasn't even that bad against Texas Tech. They just never stood a chance. So I guess my point being is it was nowhere close to DJ as bad as DJ Durkin's first year. And I'm not saying that should be the benchmark for keeping your job or not keeping your job, but it just seems uh, very swift. And maybe this comes with being a $9 million a year paid head coach. And all of a sudden the expectations are raised. And I get it, it's partly the industry, but like if I'm sitting at home tonight and I'm Chris Partridge and I'm seeing all of this and, you know, let's just say, I know I'm not coming back next year. I've been informed. I don't know that I'm just being a hypothetical part of me would be sitting there thinking, being like, God damn, I never got any time. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't all that bad. And he's been an asset in recruiting and so it just, to me, is like, Jesus, can you give the guy a second year? Like, if this was happening two years like in a row where they were just very inconsistent defensively, I would understand it more. I understand it right now. I guess really the only point I have in this long-winded monologue here is just like, I would look up and if I got canned, I'd look at Chris Partridge and be like, like if I was Chris Partridge, I'd be like, shit, I wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? But maybe that bad doesn't cut it. Does that make any sense at all? It just seems sudden for him. It, it does. And it, it makes me wonder because we started this conversation by talking about how it's going down in a weird way. Maybe this is just purely speculation. Maybe Lane was, or is making a change because he realized that he could get Pete Golding and, and maybe somebody else to come with him. Oh, I think that's definitely part of it. Who else? So is, if, if Pete Golding doesn't exist, are we talking about this? See, prob that that's my question is maybe not. Maybe that's why it's going down this way. I'd say way. probably not. Because if you can get Pete Golding, then then yes, you do it considering what you've gotten from Partridge. And he needs more time is is certainly valid. But I think you you know more likely what kind of job Pete Golding is going to do versus what Partridge will in year two. And that's everything you said is really interesting though. And a good counter. That's why. in part why I wonder, like we just said, may not be happening. If Pete Golding was not interested in actually coming to Ole Miss. I don't think Keith Car or Keith Carter. I don't think Lane Kiffin's making a change for the sake of change so much as he's making a change because he's got a guy. Because if it were that bad, it would have already happened. If the defense I would was that so. bad, he'd have been canned probably before the bowl game. And if so, and they just completely dumped the bed in the bowl game, certainly after the bowl game. But, I mean, that you know, you can't judge these things in a vacuum. Pete Golding is a possibility based on all the reporting. 
and from everything I've heard as well. So like that, that, that is part of it. I just, I think it's important to point that aspect of it out. It's not like they were so bad defensively that they have to make a change bar nothing. It's almost like, I mean, this is a bad. You got to change something. You got, you got to change scheme. You have to change personnel. There's just no way. But it almost is a bad analogy as I sit here and watch the golf channel as they give my guy Hayden Buckley zero airtime despite him being three under. That's a story for another day. It's like getting a new driver. It's like, you know, this old one that I got two years ago, it's not a bad driver by any perspective. My swing's not very good, so I'm not doing the club any favors there. But shit, I really kind of want this tailor-made stealth too. And like this other option becomes available and you kind of have to take it. It's a bad analogy, but that's kind of what is seemingly happening here. And again, if I were choosing, if you had to choose Chris Partridge or Pete Golding, I think it's Pete Golding eight days out of seven. And the other piece of that is I don't think it should be undersold. Like say the Pete Golden thing doesn't happen. I would be willing to just say, hey, give Partridge another year and let's see how this looks. Because I saw some people on our board today kind of trying to downplay the partridge recruiting angle of just like, Hey, he got a couple good guys from the Northeast outside of that. He hasn't been very good results wise. Okay. Maybe so, but like he got Jared Ivy, who's I think is a pretty good player, right? Like he played a role in getting uh, chance Campbell on um, there. Are a couple other guys. I guess my point being is I don't think the la- like the loss of partridge as a recruiting asset should be diminished to make the case for Pete Golding, because as much as people want to live in the here and now, uh, Chris Partridge was named the national recruiter of the year by scout RIP in 2016. And then again, I believe in 2017 by 247. And it has been named a top five recruiter in the nation four times since. Like the guy's a good recruiter. And I've seen a little bit of that to where like they're trying to diminishing his recruiting prowess. He's a recruiting asset for Ole Miss. And like, you shouldn't get it twisted despite any way this thing goes. They, they could do worse than Chris Partridge, despite having an opportunity to do better, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think this guy is Wes McGriff. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. And again, he's probably going up against a shinier new toy. But like, if they if this doesn't happen, they do run it back. They're not in a terrible spot, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. But from a recruiting perspective, change. Sure. what does he change? Is the net would be the next question. Yeah, and, and do they have the personnel uh, to do it? And which is on him. It is, and and, and staff as well. Which uh, one change has already happened there? Uh, it sounds like it, at least another one is going to happen, but. When it comes to Pete Golding and recruiting, I, I said this on the show today. You, you can point counterpoint yourself to death about Pete Golding at Ole Miss because, on one hand, he has had top ten defenses his entire time at Alabama. And by the way, the 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 centers out there, I understand where you're coming from, but do you think Nick Saban's keeping a guy that's incompetent on his staff for five years nope. that, that can't recruit? and can't scheme and game plan on his staff for five years running his defense, no shot. Uh, so, no, But he is at Alabama, so he's had these top 10 defenses. The game has changed a lot. The Alabama fans that are mad because it's not happening like 2009. Their offense has changed. They're on the yes, field more. They're, they're on the field more. They're, they're average yards per play, per uh, points per possession, scoring defense, all that is, is among the best in college football the entire time he's been there. He's obviously very good at what he does, but counterpoint, he's got Alabama players. It's probably a little bit easier to call defense with Alabama players than it is Ole Miss players. He has that quote. Have you ever seen that? It's like, what's your recruiting pitch? He's like, I work for the greatest coach ever. What's wrong with you? Have you ever seen this? That's like, they asked him his recruiting pitch. Like, to to underscore your point, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. But he literally said that in a quote in a press conference one time. 
But then you counterpoint back that they are playing in the toughest league in college football. And he had, he was good at UTSA as well, who objectively does not have uh, the best players in all of college football. And then people say, well, he's a good recruiter. Well, it's probably easier to recruit at Alabama than it is at Ole Miss. But you're also not recruiting the players that Alabama is after at large at Ole Miss anyway. It's not like he's going to come in and have to get a roster filled. When people say it's very easy to recruit at Alabama, they're not wrong. You're right. It's easier to recruit at Alabama than it is Ole Miss. 100%. But the players at Alabama is after, maybe this is just spin. You guys can think I'm crazy for thinking this, but the players that Alabama is after, everybody wants. Every single program in college football wants and is offering money to and their best pitch, their best foot forward, and Alabama keeps winning those matchups. Why? Money? In some cases. But that player from Iowa, the the offensive lineman, said that if he'd have gone to Iowa, they'd have given him more money. But he wanted to go play at Alabama for the other reasons. So it's not like Pete Golding can just walk into a room and sit down and say, I'm with Alabama, y'all have a good night. Like you still have to recruit these guys and you have to build relationships and you have to sell your program to mom and dad because guess who else wants that kid? Georgia and Clemson and Ohio State and the best programs in college football want all those kids as well. So clearly, if they are winning those battles often, it's not just because of money. That's not the only reason they're doing it. Clearly, like we said before, Nick Saban wouldn't keep keep you on staff for five years if you couldn't scheme and call defense. He also wouldn't keep you on staff if you couldn't go recruit. And and to think that he would lose all of his ability to to get players and win them over in living rooms because he's not at Alabama, I I think that's very short-sighted. And that's kind of a a barely scratching the surface view because they go up against the best programs in America and win those battles the A on his chest is not the only reason that that happens. Oh, not even close. And like, I think it would probably be like the, I guess the, I guess the whole reason I spent like the five minutes doing the partridge uh, case or whatever you want to call it is that he does do a really good job recruiting. Right. I mean, look, partridge's thing has been like, and I've talked to him about this. And I've talked to a couple of players that he's recruited Tysheem Johnson, Aishim Young, a couple of those guys about like, they're very invested in the families and getting to know the kids from their teachers to the high school football coach, the actual families and like getting to know all of them. And I know everyone like says that, but Partridge clearly does that better than most other people do. It's just kind of the proof is in the pudding with some of the players he's landed between Michigan and Ole Miss. But with that being said, to to bring it back to the Pete Golding aspect of it, I don't think there would be any sort of drop off. I think you would probably have a wash from the recruiting standpoint and probably a little bit of an upgrade just because the name brand of Pete Golding, who he's worked for. Look, the guys that work for Saban, I get all of them don't always go beat him as a head coach, but fewer, few of them just completely flop when they go elsewhere. They Few of them just suck and forget what they're doing because they were just propped up by Saban the whole time. That's not really how it works. But it is an interesting test case because, as you brought up, he went from small school, small school, small school, kind of small school in UTSA, Alabama. So you haven't really had that middling power five program test case with Golding about how he reacts and how he's able to recruit. He's still a young guy. I think he's 38, 39 years old. 
like you just haven't had that middle ground to point to of like he can recruit well at a place that's not a traditional power because he's always been at either tiny schools or a place like UTSA where, again, I don't know the ins and outs of the recruiting while he was there, but the general perception of doing more with less. And I think that would be the great kind of question with Golding going forward. I think he'd probably pass those tests, but I think that would be fast. That's the fascinating piece of it to me on his path. Oh, for sure. That's a really good point that I hadn't considered yet because it's it's not the in-between. It's it's the one or the other. He hasn't had um, the in-between yet. He went from small no. school to, hey, I'm here. What's up? Pinnacle of college football. My guy is gray for 38. He he is gray up top. I uh, I love it. I, I didn't realize he was that young. I mean, he's been in, been in coaching and been at Alabama for so long, you would just think that he's older. Uh, than he is. I mean, he's been at Alabama since 2018, and he's 38 years old as the defensive coordinator. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. you got to respect the look because I don't have a ton of room to talk. Uh, when the Lane Kiffin to Oregon thing went on, I somehow found myself uh, walking into the parking garage of my job at the uh, Renewable Energy Company going on a radio station in Portland, Oregon to kind of poke fun at the Lane Kiffin to Oregon thing. And some guy on there called me a frat boy with Alabama bang. So like my look, I can't really make fun of him a lot, but he's got the classic frat guy mop head thing, Southern guy, but he's just, he, he, he great early. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going shaved head. I'm not going with the dad haircut. I'm going to be the aging frat guy. It's like, is this guy 50 or 20? What's up? Like he's got that look going on, which I kind of respect. No haircuts for him, despite how gray he gets. Yeah. Uh, and don't dye it either. Just stick with it, man. But um, got ties to Mississippi as well. It, I mean, it, it just, it makes sense on a lot of fronts, but we did get asked on the show today, why would he leave Alabama? You know, if Nick, if, if Nick Saban wants him, why would he leave? And and maybe, maybe he doesn't. I don't, I, I don't know how to answer well, that's that. That's a non-starter, than he right? If they want him back, he's not coming to Ole Miss. Right. I mean, you I would, would think, assume. yeah. Uh, so, what, what, What's the what domino that has to fall? We talked about this right before we started recording. Is it Jim Leonard? All this has come out on the Ole Miss side. I'm not saying it's true or not true. I've heard the same things. I've tried to help Neil and Chase out in very little capacities that I can. But, like, there's no Alabama domino side. So, I guess to kind of crystallize this conversation is, like, what is the domino that has to fall? Is it Jim Leonard being like, yeah, I'll come to Alabama, and then kicking him to the curb? What is the domino that has to fall to actually set this shit in motion? Is it Saban saying, okay, we're going to go in another direction? Like, what do you think that is? Because Ole Miss is not plucking him if Alabama is dying to keep him. I just don't think that's a realistic scenario. I know Lane Kiffin doesn't exactly uh, appear to give a damn about uh, the the messaging coming out of his program and, and the, uh, the aura around it, especially involving coaching and, and employment. But this can't go on for another day, I don't think. I mean, there needs to be some finality, doesn't there? You either need to, to soon, you need to come out and say, Chris is my guy, go hit the road, dude. Or we're moving on from Chris Partridge and Pete Golding's our guy. I mean, how long can you let this go on to possibly start fracturing a relationship with your current defensive coordinator, who is still, as of this moment, employed by the school? Well, what did we learn this fall? He doesn't care. That will happen. It will go on as long as he wants to. I don't think it's the point of like it being a toxic thing yet. I don't know how Chris Partridge operates. I imagine a piece of him probably knew what he was signing up for when he agreed to work for Lane Kiffin. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But I mean, your point's well stated. But I, I, I do think you mean like I, I get the like the aspect of you saying like 
like, can't, does this there have to be some finality to this? Like, should there be? Yeah, yeah, sure. But that's just not how this cat operates. And that I don't, I don't think there will be. And I'm curious to see how long this drags out because the, I'll actually hold this for a second. Cause the last thing I want to get to it is, is I was talking to Weldon earlier today, just kind of shooting the shit about everything was going on. Whatever happens, if they do get Pete Golding, no matter what people want to spin it from the Alabama side, this is a home run hire for Ole Miss, and it is an upgrade yes. from what they currently have, and there would be no other way to sell it. Look, people get mad. People roasted me after the bowl game for being negative about Lane Kiffin a little bit after the Egg Bowl. Whatever. I think Lane Kiffin's fascinating. I think he's done a lot to make Ole Miss relevant. I like having him as a head coach because more people listen and more people are interesting. But anyway, be that as it may – this is a home run hire if they hire Pete Golding and there is no other way to sell it or package it. This is a huge, huge win for Ole Miss if they get Pete Golding. Even if Alabama says, okay, we're not happy, we're not exactly upset you're leaving. Like that is the message, right? This is a big deal if they yes. get Pete Golding. I'm stating the uh, obvious, but it's worth stating. Absolutely. A, a guy texted in the in uh... I love our audience. I appreciate them and respect them very much. And they give me good fodder. I just don't know how many people think the way they do. So if one guy sends a message, I'm like, do fans really think like this? He said, why would Ole Miss want Alabama sloppy seconds? And I said, because Alabama sloppy seconds can win you a lot of freaking football games, man. Yes, they I, can. I mean, you, you cannot turn your nose up. I mean, I heard the same thing about the Ohio State defensive end that that they're recruiting or, or and who knows what's what's happening there. But well, he's barely played at Ohio State, but he's played at Ohio State. He can play here. The, the team that lined up and went toe-to-toe with Georgia for four quarters, and if they would have made a kick, then they would have beaten the shit out of TCU, sort of, in a similar way that Georgia did on Monday night. You're telling me that a guy that played on that team in some rotational snaps and had, what, a sack in the college football playoff semifinal game is not somebody you'd want? You're telling me that even though he's got better players, a guy that has coached top 10 defenses for five consecutive years, and I've got Wikipedia up in front of me, apparently his his second UTSA defense was top seven in the country in yards per game. So six consecutive years of having a defense that is top 10 in the country in a major statistical category is not somebody you would want on your sidelines? Somebody that has signed the players that he has signed. Now, it was with Alabama, but he gets to go into living rooms and say, Will Anderson, my defense. That that was my guy. With how many dozen players that are currently in the NFL over a five-year span at Alabama, you're telling me that, that that guy is not an upgrade over what you have? You're crazy. Even if it's sloppy seconds from Alabama. Buddy, oh. If Lane pulls this off, Ole Miss is the most fascinating team, in my opinion, in terms of ceiling in the SEC. I'm not saying that they have the highest ceiling. I think their ceiling would be the most interesting to me compared to anybody else when you pair an upgrade there, what he will probably, at least to some degree, help you in the portal, because he will. Pete Golding's going to get you some dudes in the portal. He will. Guaranteed. 100% is going to happen. And the schedule, because you have to go to Athens and you have to go to Tuscaloosa. Fascinating Ole Miss becomes so quickly. What it adds to the build, look, I know, I, th- I think we know where this is all headed, and I think this will become more of a storyline as we get closer and closer to the college football season, is Ole Miss's build towards 2024. 
Ole Miss is not a college football playoff team next year, barring something shocking. I'm always hesitant to speak in definitives, even so something sounds as safe as that, because, you know, A&M was supposed to be a top five team in the country. My God, they went four and eight. You know what I mean? There's always a couple of storylines where like, how in God's name did that happen? How in God's name did TCU make the national title game? But it, it's an interesting storyline for everything you just outlined and also the build towards 2024, because presumably if you get Pete Golding, that guy's not a one and done. He's not staying at Ole Miss for another year and then going somewhere else. I'd be fairly shocked if that were the case, barring Lane Kiffin. I, I wouldn't be out. surprised if he would look at Ole Miss as a place that would consider hiring him when exactly. Lane leaves. Exactly. That's very well said. Good. It's a great point. Exactly. So it's not a one-year thing. And it also makes them interesting next year, but to the build to 2024, where he has time to recruit and kind of get talent in, portal, high school recruiting, probably help out with that. What does that look like? It makes them fascinating instantly. And then the last piece of it I'll talk about on like the recruiting side of it, there's no risk. We talked about how good of a recruiter Partridge is. Partridge is not from the South. He's from the Northeast. Like in, in on paper, despite his recruiting prowess at Michigan and everywhere he's gone, He's an outsider to the South. And I don't think he's had any problems selling the South. I mean, look at his track record with Northern kids with Tashim Johnson and Aishim Young and a couple other guys. But Golding's from Hammond, Louisiana. He played safety at Delta State. Like there is, if he, if he fails. Coached at Southern Miss and, and was good there as an assistant when he was there. Exactly. If he fails at recruiting, it's something's wrong with him. Like he was lazy or it didn't happen. I don't think he would fail at recruiting here. That's my point. I think it would be a recruiting upgrade slightly at minimum and majorly at maximum, despite Partridge being a good recruiter. There is no Brian Harson element of this. It was like, oh, this guy won a decent amount of games, but like, does he know anyone in the South? This guy's as Southern as they come. Like he will be able to recruit very well. And that's why I think this the floor of this hire, if Ole Miss is able to make it, is probably what makes the upgrade more so than the ceiling, right? Like it's, it's look, I get the Alabama sloppy seconds thing, or I mean, we had a guy on the board today. I had about five minutes left in my work day. I was waiting on one more call. I decided to click on a message board thread. And some guy asked, why is Pete Golding an upgrade from Chris Partridge? And of course, he, his message board culture goes, he immediately got dumped on for being an idiot, despite no one actually <laughs> giving a reason. <laughs> but what is the answer to that question? I think the answer to the question is that he's worked at Alabama. He's worked under the greatest head coach ever. They've had fine defenses by Alabama standards. I think part of it, the Pete Golding thing, is Georgia doing what they're doing. They didn't make the college football playoff this year. They got beat last year. I mean, they won a national title with him in 2020. But just the microwave society in terms of college football that we live in the here and now, Someone's got to be a scapegoat. And Bill O'Brien is not a sexy enough scapegoat. And the fact that they didn't have great receivers is not a sexy enough scapegoat. So this guy that is not producing 2011 level defenses, he sucks. He's got to go. So I, I think it's that. I think it's the proven track record. And I think it's the fact that he's never failed anywhere he's gone, I think is the answer to that. I think it's the floor. He is never going to be a flop. Um, and I think part of it's the scheme. I don't think he'll run a three, two, six scheme and I'm not necessarily against, I don't know football enough to know whether the three, two, six scheme would work. It worked in 2021. Why does that mean it can't work ever again? You know what I mean? Worked in half of 2021 and they had two elite level college linebackers. Exactly. Th that's how it will be a change. And there's no, there's almost no chance it flops. 
like it's not a change for making changes sake because you're frustrated with Partridge and how this year turned out. That's why it's an upgrade, right? It's because the floor is so high. Extremely, extremely high floor. And again, he's he's had Alabama players, but what Ole Miss really needs when you consider how good their offensive output is despite the red zone being a disaster, which it is relatively speaking compared to the rest of their offensive production. It's not like you need a top 10 defense at Ole Miss to win a bunch of games considering who is coaching the other side of the ball, right? If they're going to take any step forward offensively, which I anticipate quarterbacks tend to take steps forward in college from their first year as a starter to their second year, coached by somebody that is as good at this as Lane Kiffin is. Matt Corral made a big jump, big jump, cut down the turnovers, was more efficient. Matt Corral from 2019 to 20 and then 20 to 21 is a dramatically different player. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Lane Kiffin deserves a lot of credit for that as well. If Jackson Dart takes any kind of a a step forward, you have Judkins in the backfield. They've recruited well there. They've, We'll see about wide receiver and the portal guys that they've picked up there. Tight end room looks better, certainly better than it did last year. They're going to get some offensive line help in the portal. And suddenly it's like, damn, you've got an offense that can probably score with basically anybody. All you need is some stops. All you need is to not give up multiple third downs in the egg bowl on a long touchdown drive right before the half when you've got all the momentum. Just not have that happen in last eight and five turns into 10 and three very quickly. If you just are able to get a little bit more out of your defense and also score in the red zone, but Pete Golding's not going to come in and coach a top 10 defense at Ole Miss. He won't, I don't think, but can he give you top 30? If you get a top 30 defense at Ole Miss, which hasn't happened since what, 2015, it is peak. You can go back to an access bowl. I mean, uh, not Dan. Yeah. Um, what what's the cat's name? How am I forgetting this? The poor guy had to retire in front of us. Who am I? Th- uh, Freeze is DC. He had to retire in front of Sorry, you, was, Womack. Yeah, that guy had a number one defense in college football. Now, granted, part yes. of that was Freeze and the recruiting and all that. And look, I don't, a lot of interesting factors that went into that. But like the the peak could be top ten easily. He could. He won't be but, top 10 for five straight years. No. You could be top 20 for five straight years and then get one that sneaks into six or seven. And guess what? You're good at offense. That's on your boy Lane Kiffin now. You should be competitive in the college football right. playoff that's now about to go to 12 teams. Exactly. And so, that like, Ole Miss is a tier below Alabama and LSU and, and Georgia. Absolutely. I mean, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. But it's not like you can't get players at Ole Miss. And that's the thing that, it's kind of confused me with some of the dissenters of Golding is, well, he's not going to have Alabama players, but he can have Ole Miss players. Sam Williams played at Ole Miss. Now he, he's getting in legal trouble in, in Dallas right now, but he's had a hell of a rookie year. He was an instant impact player in the National Football League on that defense and that defensive line. That's an Ole Miss player. Chance Campbell was an Ole Miss player, a transfer, but he was. Mark Robinson was an Ole Miss player. Dean Leonard made a roster. He was, I mean, it's not like you're, you, if you're Ole Miss, you have to develop Furman's players. You can develop future, and I mean, Suntarian Perkins is going to be on your roster next year. 
Cedric Johnson can play at the next level. I mean, it's it's there's a drop off from Alabama to Ole Miss. There is, but it's not a cliff. It's just a step backwards where you can get capable college players. You can get some elite level college players that can play at the next level. It can be done there. And We've they don't it. have to be great pros, right? So no. Bryant, Cody Pruitt. Um, Brown. In there. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great call. Like, you know what I mean? The funniest one is DJ Jones because he had like a marginal career at Ole Miss, but like I talked to Buchanan and was, he was like, him being an incredible pro is the least surprising thing ever. He used to beat quarterbacks and wide receivers in the 40-yard dash. But like dudes like that, you know what I mean? And so like, Again, I, I think it would be a terrific hire, and I think it would change the narrative um, greatly around kind of Ole Miss football that entered a bad slide. And the last thing I want to get to on this, because I did want to get to some college football playoff stuff for a keepy for two hours, is if they do this and they are able to pull this off. And I, I've been in the process, I would say, for like a month of trying to find the right way to write about this is all excuses for the next 24 months with Lane Kiffin are out if he hires Pete Golding. Right. Like you're paid nine million bucks a year. You plucked a defensive coordinator from Alabama. Plucked might be the wrong word, but it's a very, very good defensive coordinator. You got the NIL resources. Go do something with it now. If they start failing because their offense can't move the football or they don't have receivers or it's predictable or the quarterback doesn't develop, get like there's no other. I guess what I'm getting at is that they get Pete Golding over the next two years. In what scenario does the blame get deflected elsewhere other than the head man? You know what I mean? The honeymoon mm -hmm. period ended with the Auburn saga, and now it's all in Lane Kiffin's court. What does he do with this? Because I think there, if you're talking about questions about Lane Kiffin, it's what? Long-term commitment to Ole Miss. Because in this modern day and age in college football and the transfer portal being right, you have to be somewhat committed to where the current place in which you reside. You can't be holding them hostage and having one foot out the door every other year and having any sort of success. There's not a successful head coach in the country doing that right now. It's the offense hasn't been great for parts of the last two seasons, even with Matt Corral. Especially in the red zone, for sure. Very specific. But if you're not scoring touchdowns when you get inside the 20, I mean, that cost them the Alabama game. That yes, cost them the Egg Bowl. And they ran out of gas. It's depth, right? They they couldn't get they, like why didn't they give the ball to Judkins again in the Alabama games? Like, well, he was gas. It's like, well, I know Jud like Evans was hurt. He got hosed on that bullshit targeting call, but like you can't get anything out of Bentley. But anyway, point being, this is now all on Lane Kiffin, is it not? And I'm not trying to say that in like a hey, let's watch this guy fail or fold or anything, but it sets up for a fascinating dynamic because any other outlet to blame things, facilities. NIL, all this other stuff, it is now on him, and that's partially of his own creation. So what does he do with it? Like, do you yeah. view that remotely the same way? The excuses, for the most part, um, are not valid anymore. The, the, the excuses that you've heard from Ole Miss coaches of the past or fans talking about coaches of the past, about program ceiling, uh, it's not the same. The, the leak to Chris Lowe about the NIL money, Ole Miss, responded, Ole Miss fans responded by generating literally millions of dollars uh, to, to bolster that. More than what he told the collective he needed for this year, millions more than what he told them. So that, that's gone. They're currently upgrading facilities. That's gone. 
the the investment in coaching staff is there. I mean, he's possibly going to fire, possibly fire a coordinator with multiple years on his contract, and Keith is just going to stroke the check and pay it. I mean, he has gotten everything that That's I a think good point. It's to... not like he's at the end of a deal. Yeah, and, and Keith will pay the buyout. And he's paid well. Very well. And good on Keith for doing that. But the, Ole Miss is investing more in Lane Kiffin than they have ever invested in a football coach before. Uh, they're giving him – I mean, what is Ole Miss not giving him that they could? That they could at this point. Uh, I was going to say something that was going to get me in trouble, but the real answer is nothing. Um, but then you're exactly right. And that's kind of my point. It's all on him now. What does he do? Does he become that tireless worker and tireless recruiter and kind of devote everything to being successful? Because you can't be the guy that studies, that doesn't study all semester and then aces the final exam and comes with the B minus C plus. Like that's not going to cut it. You're not paid to do no. that anymore. So where does that go? And I, I'll go, I'll, you brought up an interesting point where you talked about the Ole Miss fans responding to that. And I don't think enough credit's been given to that. It's, it's people don't like to give fans credit for stuff. Like most people in our positions like to dump on fans for being dumb, which I don't know. I've never understood because they are the people that kind of pay our bills in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's a shitty time to be a college football fan. You have the portal. You don't know these guys, everything you come to know and love about this screwed up sport that is kind of dumb in college football is eroding into this wild vast of just kind of come as you go, free agency, blah, blah, blah. It's basically free agency on steroids, cartel type stuff. And guess what Ole Miss fans did? They responded by raising money. And I don't think that's been talked about enough because Ole Miss is not the biggest alumni base in the SEC. It's not even really close to the biggest alumni base in the SEC. You had this guy come and win at an almost unprecedented level. The 10-win season was unprecedented in the regular season. And hold your feet to the fire in some ways, I'd argue almost bad faith. And guess what they did? They raised the money. There was no more. We're a little more Ole Miss. And I think people deserve credit for that, for giving their like literal investment. We're not talking about just yep. emotional capital and sitting there yelling there loud. Literal cold hard-earned dollars to say, nope, that's not really how this is anymore. With no return. There's We're no return. here with no return yet. Now, if, they, if he went, now, again, that's not a knock on Lane Kiffin. If he continues to win at a high level, that's the return. But right. to this point, no return. And I just think they deserve more credit for that than it maybe is being discussed because it is kind of a shit time to be a college football fan. Can you imagine we were kids and we actually got into this from a team and fan perspective? This would kind of suck, wouldn't it? Like, this would be kind of shitty. Like, I, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. It, it wouldn't feel the same for sure. And, and yeah, uh, fans deserve credit. And I, I think, I, I don't know if he'll do it or not, but right after the bowl game, I, I, I posted a video myself talking about this. But if if I were advising Lane Kiffin, if I was one of the very few people that he confided in, I would tell him to start being more forward-facing. Now, I, I don't think that he should be the Sam Pittman like, rah, rah, I'm a hog till I die. Build a hog statue in the backyard of my lake house and give me a non-compete in my contract because I'm not going anywhere. He didn't have to be that guy. But the I don't give a shit attitude works when you're winning. People will accept that when you're winning. And you you're can, new. And it hasn't and you're happened new, in a while. And and exactly. And and you cannot be around. And I'm not talking about him going on vacations. 
everybody, even multimillionaire football coaches, deserve some time away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not being around like his program as much as other coaches in the SEC are. Um, all that stuff is fine when you're winning, but but they didn't, and the Auburn thing did happen. And Keith Carter's quotes that he gave to, to David Johnson are really telling about what leadership at the school feels about how that went down. Oh, 100%. Beyond, yeah, I, mean, I would read into I would I would argue you cannot read too much into that if that you makes can't. sense. And and I know for a fact like like the, guys, the, we've talked about many that times. as deep as you want to. I say like I said that like you can't read too much into it. That there is not a depth that you can't go. That was very very telling to you. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. And, and, and that's what what Neil and Chase because I've heard them say it. That's what we've been trying to tell people on the radio show is if you say that it was media manufactured, somebody forgot to tell the leadership at the school. Somebody we, forgot so, so to tell them that it wasn't this. That's true. just an absurd narrative. But it is. But somebody forgot to tell them because they're 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 furious with how not just the Auburn thing has been handled, but the job has been handled, and what has happened since then. And and you listening may think that this is ridiculous that people shouldn't feel this way. I'm telling you though that they do. There are people, not just university leadership, but there are people that 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 give the most that are kind of fed up and it would serve him. And, and by kind of, I mean, they're fed up and it, I think it would serve him well if I were advising him to not go full Sam Pittman, but to be more forward facing, be more around talk glowingly about the place that's giving you $9 million. Pretend like you give a shit about old miss. Pretend. I know it's just, Pretend, because that's what it is for for 99% of college football coaches. They don't love where they are. It's their job. They like their job. Their their kids are growing up in these places, and, and it's all good. Like, they like where they are. They appreciate it. But they're not, like, in love with the place the same way that, that you guys are, for sure. But, but he needs to start pretending, essentially. But be more forward-facing. Be more of a salesman, not just for yourself. Because nothing, th- there's nothing that winning can't fix, but you can't win for eight months. You, c- you can't win a football game for eight months. So what do you do in the interim? If you want to keep momentum going in the NIL train, if you want people to buy tickets, if you want people to start buying back into you, then you need to buy into them. You can't have a November go down like this one just went down but you, you can't prove that it's not going to go that way until November comes, right? So in the meantime, just display a sense of give a damn, and you will so quickly win anybody that's upset right back. I don't think he's going to do that. I would tell him to do that. I'm with you. I mean, I, I can't believe I've ever gotten to the point where I'd have to say this, but like, how about like thanking the fans instead of dogging them for not showing up to games? I mean, I'll be all the feedback they get is negative. Yes, and the, the the beyond the whole beyond every now and then when you know it's Alabama game or whatever, and he was like, "Thanks, we had a great environment." There's been none of that. You know what I mean? And that's that's going to take fundamentally changing who he is, and that's kind of the great question as he enters this new phase of his old Miss career. Can he do that? Because I don't even think it's an Ole Miss thing. Wherever he goes, unless it's the National Football League, where no one really cares about that, but to some degree, you're going to have to do this. Changing who you are and how you operate and not just being about Lane Kiffin. Is that article I wrote back in 
November about the Lane Kiffin tax. I mean, I kind of concluded it with Lane Kiffin's about Lane Kiffin until proven otherwise. That's going to have to change to some degree, and I'm fascinated to see how that is. Now, before or how that plays out, before I keep you for all of midnight or whatever, I wanted to get into the grand scheme of things in college football. You had a terrible national title game, 65-7. to It was awful. People fired off their hot takes. It was whatever. I just I don't even know where to start with this is I was never in the camp of TCU doesn't belong there. They won all of their games in a power five conference. They beat Michigan and then they ran into a machine that they were just completely overmatched against. And I'm not even sure they were a very great football team. I think they were a cool story that won a lot of fourth quarter games to be completely honest. They reminded me of 2021 Ole Miss if the Auburn game had gone differently. If Ole Miss had somehow come out of that Auburn game with a win and got to the college football playoff at 11-1, and that's kind of what this TCU thing was. Obviously, Ole Miss had a better quarterback. But I just – everyone has to have this whole definitive take after all that. And my whole thing was, hey, you only got a four-team playoff, so you got a bad matchup, right? They beat TCU – they beat Michigan because they got a couple of fortuitous breaks, two pick sixes. A lot of things went their way. And TCU was overwhelmed – or excuse me, Michigan was overwhelmed by TCU's speed. And guess who's not going to be overwhelmed by anyone's speed? Georgia, and they have better athletes, and the result yeah. is what you got. I don't think it was the fact that TCU didn't deserve to be there. It's just the product of the four-team playoff. In my, if I'm being honest, that was the greatest indictment of the four-team playoff of all time, where that TCU team gets weeded out before they get to the great, the sport's grandest stage. I, I think they belong. I don't give them any sort of ill will. I won't shit on them for the way it happened. It just happened that way. And the other piece of this that before I kick it back to you is I don't actually buy into the narrative that Georgia would have beaten anyone that badly that night. I think they would have beaten Michigan going away, but I think that would have been a game for two and a half to three quarters because Michigan has a little more beef in the middle, could have stopped the run and not let Georgia do whatever they want the entire time. It was a terrible matchup with the talent discrepancy that crystallized, in my opinion. Yeah, and I I had people – because after – the committee made their announcement. I said the committee got it right. And some people are like, no, Alabama should have been in. Alabama should have been in. And I think that that debate ended when TCU beat Michigan. And you made a great point about the 12-team playoff. TCU doesn't get to the championship game in a 12-team playoff. They would have gotten weeded out. There are people that are acting like the committee placed TCU in the championship game. They and it was highway third- robbery of some other school. Who else are you putting right. in there? Uh, but they say Alabama. Well, Alabama would have given TCU a better game. Maybe so. And in fact, I, I think, or excuse me, would have given Georgia a better game. Maybe so. I think they probably would have. But Alabama lost two games, right? It was yeah. to Tennessee and to LSU. Did you see what Georgia did to Tennessee and LSU? Now, one of them was at home, but still. Georgia lined up and kicked the shit out of Tennessee. And then a monsoon came early in the second half and Georgia shut it down. But it wasn't close. It was not close. Georgia from the jump was significantly better than Tennessee when they played. And then we all saw the SEC championship. Georgia just dominated that game and shut it down basically at halftime and still dominated that game. So uh, when you say that Alabama totally would have given Georgia a better game, are you sure? Are, Are you sure? Because... Yeah, it wouldn't have been 62 to 7 or whatever, but what is 42 21 out of the question? And is that a great football game itself? No, I and don't lose two games. Yes, I agree. 
that the SEC is a better conference than the Big 12. But that's just... It's more subjective than objective. The games have to matter. And that's the same TCU team that beat Texas by more than Alabama did on the same field. TCU beat Michigan. Michigan kicked the shit out of Ohio State. Ohio State had a kick at the buzzer to beat Georgia. How about let's let all these teams play? Well, that too. Yeah, just let them all play, and it'll work out, and they will, and it'll be great. But I'm adding to your point. Michigan beat the shit out of Ohio State. Ohio State almost gave Georgia a game. How do you do the transitive property? I know. Real playoff. Let's let all them play. So you can eliminate all that soon, but it's very simple for Alabama. Don't lose to Tennessee. Don't lose to LSU. Win one of those two games, and you're in, and, and problems solved. They had control of their own destiny, and they did not take care of business. Is the Big 12 the same as the SEC? No. But, I mean, take Kansas State. Alabama beat the shit out of Kansas State. Kansas State beat the shit out of Missouri. Missouri lost to Georgia by one score. So is Alabama by transitive veterans? See what, it's just, it's all so ridiculous and, and so subjective. And I would rather have the four most deserving teams as opposed to hoping that empty suits pick the four best teams. Because I think Alabama was one of the four best teams in college football, but I don't know. And because I don't know, I would rather have the results on the field dictate who gets into the playoff as opposed to, I think Alabama's better without, or they would be favored because Vegas favorites matter so much. I mean, they were favored against Tennessee, weren't they? What happened? I mean, Ole Miss was favored against Texas Tech. What happened? Well, you know, favorite. The Vegas odds shouldn't dictate anything. The last four years in the National Football League on Wild Card Weekend, underdogs have a absolutely ridiculous record against the spread and a pretty damn good one straight up. And to what I was going to throw back at you, but you already kind of covered it. What's the argument if if everyone if so if I came to you and I said Alabama deserved to be in that game? To hell with TCU. I hate frogs. Like, what is your argument that Alabama shouldn't be in? What was the argument? That they shouldn't be in? Yeah, what is the argument that Alabama shouldn't be in the playoff? They lost two games. Right. Don't lose two games. The funniest thing I saw about all that stuff on Monday night is, like, and it came from a lot of anti-expansion people that like to poke fun of the idea of expansion is, well, don't lose two games. Well, okay. Would you have liked to see Alabama in a college football playoff? Not four teams, just in a postseason to have a chance to win it. Was that something you'd like to see? Yeah. How about Tennessee? Would you like to see them have a shot? Yeah, even with Joe Milton. How about Kansas State? I don't think they can win the whole thing. Would you like to see them have a crack at it? I think so. I think they could have lined up and played with Michigan. Heisman Trophy winner? Yeah. So it's the greatest cell phone of all time. Like, just don't lose two games. Well, how about the fact that you win 87% of your games that should probably justify a playoff spot to go win the crown? Is that, isn't that a novel concept? The yeah. anti-expansion, guys, I'm open to opposing viewpoints on almost anything in life. If you're anti-expansion and you're just like keeping it at four, I can't do anything with you. I, 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 honestly, if I saw you in public, I might have to headbutt you. I just I, I don't understand those people. Why why is that a thing? Why are you simultaneously saying don't lose two games? Like how, how can you say that with a straight face? I guess is my point. Like you win ninety percent of your games and that doesn't count as having a shot to win the playoff. How does that work? 
Like, well, well that and no one accounts because, for injuries. What if they lost a quarterback for two games? Your season's just done. The yeah. NFL doesn't work that way. And I get it's not the NFL, but like, why can't we have a normal playoff with a qualifying system well, instead of a four team invitational? Right. And what what bothers me most about the FBS is it's the only thing that I can think of in major sports that does not have a set criteria for postseason birth. And I'm not talking about bowl games. Bowl games aren't the postseason. It's a made-for-TV event. I'm talking about the, the a chance to win a championship. In every sport, you have to do something. In the NBA, finish in the top six, you make the championship tournament. If you finish seven through ten, you play against each other. And if you win two games, then you're in. In college basketball, you win your conference tournament, you're in. Yes, empty suits also pick the other half of the field, but there's a set criteria. You control 100% of what happens to you. If you win every game in your conference tournament, you make the championship. FCS, same thing. It's a, it's a tournament that has set qualifications. The NFL, win your division, you're in. It's that simple. Major League Baseball, hockey, every other sport, high school football, everything. There is a set criteria. If you do this, you get this. In college football, Cincinnati last year, about two years ago, won every game they played in, did not get to play for a championship. And people are like, that's fair because I don't think that they're good. But but you don't know that. You think that, and, and it's probably true, but you don't know that. And so a team spent an entire season winning every game for nothing. And how can we call that a good system? That's not just for sure. I don't think it's good, but it's certainly not just. And then you give Cincinnati, after going two years of undefeated, a chance, and they proved, I think, that they belonged last year. They played Alabama well. Let's not they let played them well. history kick in. Like, they, they played them well enough to prove that they belonged. But then people are like, oh, see, Cincinnati didn't belong. As if, like, the, the number six team would have been any better in that spot. I mean, give me a break. Or Notre Dame, whoever else. Like, the anti-expansion bros end up talking themselves into a BCS argument. They get end up being into off-the-field stuff of, you know, transitive properties. and who. Yeah, the BCS, a great system that left an undefeated SEC team out of their championship. Great, Which- great system there. Everybody hated. And at the root of each anti-expansion argument, these anti-expansion bros end up caulking themselves, basically making a BCS talking point. Like, you can look at them at the end of the day and be like, you know what? You have made great points. Let's let a computer decide it. Like, I just, I don't get it. I never will. It doesn't make any sense. DC, you deserve to be there. But that being said, George is an absolute machine. And I know you're a big uh, propaganda guy. You you love that coaches can just fuel people with ridiculous stuff. What did you make? I forget the Georgia defensive lineman's name. What did you make of the whole? Everybody thought we were going seven and five. Like, and guess what? It wasn't did? just him. It, it was all of them. Man, Stetson Bennett said something like that. Multiple Georgia players did. I, it's ridiculous. You have to commend Kirby for that, right? To convince did, yeah. is it for, forget sports psychology to convince a group of dudes of something that is so completely ridiculous and not true, that takes talent. You might be a psychopath. You might, if you ever got into power, be a hell of a dictator. But that's impressive in a kind of a weird, screwed up way. 
No, I, I said uh, on, on Tuesday on the show that Kirby Smart's greatest coaching ability is not scheme. It is not development of talent, despite what Peter Burns in- encourages you to believe that Georgia is just that they're so good at uh, talent development. And that's why they don't use the transfer portal uh, and not because they're paying for the best players in the sport. Anyway, it's not that it's not scheme. It is the ability to convince a group of the best football players in college that nobody respects them. That is his best coaching ability because they felt like? disrespected. That sounds like Nick Saban. Yes, it does. That's one of his best qualities. And that's rare. That's hard to do. Like, I hate to beat this guy and bring it back to this. Could you ever see Lane Kiffin doing that? You know, Lane could stand to have a little, uh, a little bit of that where I don't know who he needs to hire to, to sit in his ear and say, Lane, these people say you suck. Like, just get John Sokolov to hang out in his office because you got a motion out of Lane about John Sokolov. So get get John to sit in his office and say, hey, Lane, I don't think you're a very good offensive coach after all. And, and suddenly maybe, he'll start, you know, he'll just maybe get Maybe because he's and... not the personal guy you get on Hootsuite and you stick a Hootsuite feed in the locker room and Lane gets to tweet at the guys, only they can see it before and that's how you get that out of him. I love this idea. I, I think you've stumbled upon something revolutionary. It is amazing, though, how that is possible. And it does take some of that in college football. Look, the NFL, that doesn't really work. You motivate guys in different ways. But have you seen that clip that's going around of the Kirby Smart pregame speech that actually, if you actually looked into Georgia reporting, that was actually not from that game? Did you know that, by the way? Oh, no. What, what game was it from? So that was from somewhere earlier in the year. Um, a guy that I follow, Jordan Hill, he used to cover Auburn for the Auburn Opelika News. Met him at SEC Media Days, actually, a couple years ago. Swell guy. I think he's actually been on the podcast before. He said he confirmed that that wasn't from that game. But that's really not the point. That would have, Did you not want to run through a wall hearing that? I know it's just a bunch of testosterone and cussing, but don't you need some of that? Like, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I, I wanted to go to my job and do a better job after I heard that. The only thing wrong with it is somebody recorded it and put it out and sent it to other people. That stuff's got to stay in the locker room, man. It's got to. You think to. it's purposeful? Because it's happened a couple of times now. You know, he it, had a portal one a couple of years ago. And it's not the Ed Orgeron antagonizing them like every time we see them, like fuck them or whatever it is. Yeah. It's him just motivating his guys. He's not talking about anyone else. So I wonder if part of it's purposeful. But, like, don't you need part of that? I love that. Again, I, I'm halfway joking, but I watched that. I listened to that at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, Hell yeah, let's go buy some dental practices. Let's go expand our business over here. And I'm just sitting at a desk like a schmuck all day. I just, I very much enjoyed that. And I wonder how much of an element of that is needed to be an elite college coach. Uh, Do you see somebody like Dabo Sweeney doing it that way, though? And make your jokes about Dabo, but he's got two titles. He's the freeze model of we're going to play out a great love for that free yeah. speech. I, everyone likes to make fun of it. You were what, a freshman or a sophomore in college of the we're going to play out a, a great... junior. Oh, wow. You're old. <laughs> I'll be 31 in two months. Get out of here. With the, the we're going to play out a great love for one another speech. Everyone loved that when I was in college. I got to be honest, it gave me chills. It's a, it's a good it's a good speech. It's a, and it was very yeah. tactical. I've talked to the Quan about this. You know the 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 places he mentioned: Ohio, Illinois. Like that's 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 not by accident. There's there's for right. in the back of the room, but you need some of that. And so, like I don't know, I just find all of that piece of it fascinating. I guess the last piece of this is they're not, they can't do the seven and five thing next year. Have you seen Georgia's schedule? Are we playing for anything next year other than looking ahead to twenty twenty four? Because there is no. So I say this. And well, like, who plays quarterback? 
mean, could they get away with I mean, that? Math, this kid is pretty good. They got another guy there. Couldn't they get away with almost anyone? I mean, I'm going to go through well, their schedule. They might, they might get in on the Walker Howard sweepstakes, which would just make the point moot, right? Like it's who plays quarterback. I agree because I'm always of the notion people love to go into these years with absolutes. That's kind of the college football mold. That's how you do things. And I'm like, hey, look at AM. No one thought that. Hey, I don't think anyone, everyone thought Alabama was actually going to run away with it this year, yeah. right? Georgia was reloading a little bit. So I'm always the one to point out like, hey, that's not really how this works. We'll just wait and see. I can't make that case with Georgia. They play UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB at home. They get four in a row at home. At Auburn, Freeze could screw with them a little bit, but let's be real. Kentucky at home. But, yeah, Auburn's portal class, by the way. They've they've gotten some decent players, but uh, a lot is being made over their portal class, which I think is um, – intentional overhype to to build how should i put this he is controlling the messaging about their portal class with friendly media to make it look like it's better than it actually is it's only great in numbers that's what he does best i mean he loves to copy people too he might start tweeting out portal king and dating chicks named sally who knows we'll see in the next nine months we have plenty of things to go over but probably already taking care of one of those florida and jacksonville Missouri at home, Ole Miss at home, at Tennessee. Wait, in what? Even if they lose at Tennessee, let's just say we'll give them a loss. I, I don't think that's going to happen. How do you make the case for a second one? You know what I mean? Like, are you we don't. playing for anything else other than looking ahead? And this is kind of like with the way the PGA Tour is. It's just a hybrid transition year. Everyone looks at twenty twenty four. Like, is yeah. is this really a foregone conclusion? Kind of feels like it. Do you get but to I mean, the playoff? Because you could get to Ohio State. Whatever someone beats them, right? right? But yeah, I mean Ohio State like. People are forgetting that Ohio State lined up and played with Georgia snap for snap for four quarters. And Had should a kick have to win. beaten them, to be honest. Should, should have beaten them, and their two best wide receivers uh, didn't play in the second half. One didn't play in the entire game. I mean, you know, if that kick goes in, what conversation are we having today? Very, very different. So, yeah, but it does feel like a foregone conclusion, though. It, it does. I mean... I don't think it really matters who play, plays quarterback for Georgia next year because he's going to have to hand the ball off for 11 weeks out of the 12 and do nothing other than just don't turn it over and you'll win every game. Last thing I have for you, I'll always like to hit the state aspect because you guys do a good job on the show of covering all three schools very well. They hire Zach Arnett. I guess I'll start here. How did you guys handle Mike Leach passing away? Because – um that was something that was so out of left field and happened so suddenly. Oh, I mean, it's like that Ryan Rosillo theory that I think he's very good on. Of like, we're always bad in the moment. And he's usually referring to sports. You know, he tweets out that troll treat every year where whoever wins the national title, he tweets out is X team got to ask, are they the best one ever? And no one gets it. And they're all like, fuck you. Like, this is the dumbest take ever, but he's really just making fun of the whole thing. But being in the moment, it's always hard to do that. I'm just curious from a radio perspective, how did you guys handle that? Because he was so beloved in college football. I loved Mike Leach. I loved hearing him talk. I don't know him from the next guy. I wrote in a newsletter, I don't have a Mike Leach story, but my God, I'm going to miss that guy a lot. And it felt weirdly personal. How did you guys handle that on radio and the aftermath of that? The the, the Monday was, and and hard is a relative term here, that that Monday was hard because- Oh, I bet. It hadn't happened, but you knew what you knew what it was. He he was going to pass away, but it hadn't happened yet. They just wanted to get his kids in town and 
And that was a difficult day because you you tried to be as delicate with that as possible while also telling people don't have hope. You know, li- li- get down, lift your prayers, do those things. But there's no get well soon, coach. That, that That's not what's happening here. But you can't just say it like that because it hadn't happened. And it's just that that delicate balance for those three hours of we got to talk about him, but we can't talk about him like he has passed, even though that's that's how this is going to end. That was a that was a very weird day. And to your point, like, and I, we talked about this. I know a couple of people at UMC. One of them happens to be related to me. Even if, like, in the space of sports, even had he made it out of that, there was never going to be a Mississippi State Mike Leach yeah, no. head coach again, right? Like that, never, that, never again. So, and, and then and then he passed, and man. Understandably so. This is this is not a criticism, but uh, you know we had the Memorial Day on on Tuesday, where we just played a bunch of old clips of his and press conferences and stuff, and uh, just, just talked about his legacy and the, the influence on football and all that. That that was, you know, that was that was very easy to do. He's an easy guy to talk about. And then they hired Zach Arnett. I, I mean, it, it happens so fast that. Moving on, I don't want to say it was easy because that's, you know, a coach passed away that we cover, but State kind of moved forward quickly because they had to because football is going to go on with or without Mike Leach. And, you know, the portal was opening in a few days or the portal was open, signing days in a few days. You've got to get to work again with somebody and they didn't have an AD. So, it, Monday was the we know but we don't know day. Tuesday was Memorial, and like what by Thursday, Zach Arnett was hired as the head coach at Mississippi State. Yeah, I think. and it was the only option they couldn't go. It was their only option. Search. I mean, they, they they are just now announcing their athletic director tomorrow, which they're being very secretive about. By the way, I, very weird deal. So everybody knows who it was. He was in town today. Everybody knows who it is. The news is already broken. Their press release that they send out to announce the press conference tomorrow refuses to say what the press conference is about. That's the old Mississippi State 1980s media. Uh, it, it is, man. It's it's they it won't say it's just like Mark Keenan will have an announcement uh, that pertains to the future of the university and its athletic endeavors or something like that. But it won't just say, "Hey, we're introducing this guy as the new AD tomorrow. Come at eleven o'clock." Like they can't just say that. It's crazy. Zach Arnett. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. He has to have the shortest leash of all time, though, right? Because he was a stopgap guy from an unspeakable tragedy, and the incoming AD didn't hire him, right? Like, I, I you know, no one is, no one that I've seen has mentioned this a ton yet. I mean, you talk about Luke having a little bit of a short leash. This is Luke on steroids, right? Like, yeah. you can afford to have it a immediately short leash or either. no? Pretty much. Uh, at least that's a, that's what it should be. Which because... is not fair, but it's the reality. I mean, I would think by the end of year two, you should have a pretty clear indication one way or the other that, okay, he's figuring it out. This is working or you got to move on quickly. He's the lowest paid public head coach in the SEC. I don't know what Clark Lee's making, uh, but but he is 13th out of 13 that we have available. What does he make? Like two mil? Three. So it's a four-year, $12 million contract, which used to be a lot of money. It's not anymore. Uh, but this is going to sound callous and morbid, but 
Mississippi State didn't hire Zach Arnett after paying a $16 million buyout. Right. Um, so if, let's say, in two years they know that, hey, this isn't working, it is very inexpensive to move on from him. You're not paying anybody else, and it would be a $6 million buyout, which is cheap nowadays. So, yeah, the leash should be short. It, it should. Um, I like Zach Arnett a lot. Uh, players like him. Development has been good. I mean, Ole Miss fans saw it. They had 15 tackles for loss in the Egg Bowl. 15 tackles for loss in the Egg Bowl. And basically that, in, yeah, basically that entire front is coming back as well. But he is a rookie head coach. This is only his second stop he's ever had, ever, as a coach. It was San Diego State and now here. And that's it. So he's got a lot to prove. Hired an OC today from Appalachian State. That's a young and relatively inexperienced OC. This will be his fourth year as an offensive coordinator ever. Uh, so, so he's a younger guy. It's a system change. Uh, they're going to have to add the tight end position, for example. Uh, they're going to run the football a lot more. It's it's different, and and I think there might be some growing pains offensively. And I, I think that their fans might not be prepared for that. They, they, they're mad. I say they, a lot of them are mad that the way too early top 25s have not included them. How do you, like, how can you tell what they're going to be? You've got a rookie head coach. And when those were all written, you didn't know who was going to run your offense. Like, but the, that's, that's what this offseason is going to be is, well, this is their 10 win season window. They get eight home games. They do. You got to see it first, though. You have to plays quarterback. That's an air raid quarterback that's not mobile that gets the football out of his hand quickly. That guy doesn't run that. Do they stick with Rural Rogers? Just gut opinion. Yes, because who else? Uh, I mean, I, I suspect they're going to be active in the portal because they've got a similar problem to Ole Miss. Only two scholarship quarterbacks on campus now the incoming true freshman and Will Rogers. You've got to add a body. But I, I've maintained for weeks, uh, I mean, even before the program changed, that they need to look in the portal for a replacement of Will Rogers. And state, some state fans don't like it. Some do. But I, I think that they are very limited. I think they have a low ceiling, a high floor, but a low ceiling at the quarterback position. Zach Arnett's defense saved them multiple times this season, especially in the Egg Bowl and in the bowl game. Uh, but the the options are kind of limited for them right now. I mean, uh, who who is in the portal that you can realistically get that can come in and challenge Will Rogers? I, I don't know if that guy exists. Can Will Rogers do a pro style offense? Uh, but that, that the the App State guy doesn't run really a pro style deal. Can not really. Uh, they 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 run a lot more. Um, th their passing game is more explosive, so their attempts per game is is low. It's like in the eighties, late eighties. Uh, but they're very explosive. Um, I I mean I, I got pushed back today when I said I don't think Will Rogers has the arm strength to to consistently push the ball down the field and, and beat SEC defenses. I, I don't think he does. Um. So, so no, I, I, I don't think that he is somebody that can be more than he's already shown you that he is. And can their line hold? Their whole thing with the Leach first year, they didn't have the right lineman. Can you now make the pivot immediately? Yeah, and, and some of the talk is going to be, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you just you give them smaller splits and they can run block fine. Well, no. Not how that works. It's a, it's a 
totally different style. And again, you have to add the tight end position. They don't have a tight end on roster. Not one, not a single one. They have not had a tight ends coach for three years. And suddenly they've they've got to have them to run the offense that this guy's running. Maybe for a year in the transition, they, they choose not to and he gets flexible. I don't know. But as of right now, the offense that, that their guy has run includes the tight end and they don't have any. So you've got to get some of them in the portal. And there's a handful out there on the portal tracker, but not that many. And other people want those guys too. So it's not like you can just round them all up and have a tight end room again. And oh, by the way, spring practice starts in a month and a half. A lot of change. Yeah, quickly. So I, I said today there might be some growing pains, and, and I, I don't know if people are going to listen to me because I think there's going to be some growing pains with a rookie head coach and a style change. There's going to be, and people aren't going to listen to that. He is Michael Borky, Super Talk, Do It All Man, Sports Talk, Mississippi. Always incredibly generous with his time. Can't thank you enough for doing this. I really course, appreciate man. it as always. We'll uh, we'll chop the shit up after spring football or whatever, but we yeah. be well, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. And that was Michael Borky. Always enjoy chatting with him. Appreciate his time as always. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Y'all have a safe and happy weekend out there, and we will catch you on Monday.